This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Gasping for Breath. On 14th August, the US Food and Drug Administration or the US FDA approved a new drug for tuberculosis, Petromelate. This drug was approved to be used in combination with two other drugs for treating extensively drug-resistant tuberculosis or MDR-TB. The other drugs in combination include bedaquiline and a high dose of linozoloid. Patients with XDR-TB are resistant to fluoroquinones, a class of drugs that is very effective against TB. Patients with XDR are resistant to fluoroquinones and injectables which are very effective against fighting TB. This condition then leaves out very few drugs at their disposal. XDR TB has abysmal rates of survival, just about 30%. It has been less than a decade since two other new drugs, Bedaquiline and Dilaminate, were introduced and are being used to treat drug-resistant tuberculosis, especially XDR TB. The Indian National TB program claims that bedaquiline has been introduced all over the country and delaminated in a few states. Both drugs are accessible via donations from their manufacturers. They have also been available through Compassionate Use Program where a new unapproved experimental drug is made accessible to patients with serious life-threatening illnesses such as cancer. I am Menuka Rao, host of this podcast, Gasping for Breath. In this special episode, I interview Lena Mingali from Medicine Science Frontiers, also called MSF. She handles the MSF Access Program for South Asia. She will tell us about Petrominate and the importance of new drugs for TB patients, especially in India, which has a high burden of TB patients. Hi Lena, thank you for speaking with me. Just to understand this problem a little bit, can you explain why we need new drugs for TB, especially DRTB? When it comes to drug-resistant tuberculosis, which is difficult to treat, the other problem that treatment providers or patients face is that not too much investment has gone to develop new drugs or diagnostics for this very resistant form of the disease, which basically creates a situation that you're forced to use older toxic drugs, which were, you know, actually abandoned because of the toxicity. So some of the drugs that we use today actually would not be in use today except for the fact that you had a public health emergency mm. where patients would die. So for example, cyclosidine, you know, cyclosidine prolonged use causes psychosis and some patients feel depressed and suicidal. And therefore, uh, you have to be very careful about how you manage drug-resistant tuberculosis. Now, when it comes to the newer drugs, what it brings on the table are drugs which are potentially safer, which improve the cure rates and potentially give people who have the most extensive drug resistance an opportunity to be cured and to live. Now, this is one of the reasons why in developing countries with a very high burden of TB and DRTB, there is this dilemma that you are waiting for these new drugs to be approved by the US FDA. But then you have to find a pathway, both from a regulatory point of view, but also how will the TB programs introduce the drug in, the, in their programs. So it's, it's, it is a dilemma that both treatment providers 
and uh, uh, patients themselves and policy makers face the usfd has cleared petrominate to be used in combination with two other drugs what does it mean for india and its tb patients yes so petrominate is not under patent it has been developed as a non profit product it was uh, licensed from chiron and tb alliance has been developing the drug it is one of the drugs that is part of short oral regimens already so short oral regimens are being developed for all forms of drug resistant tuberculosis and it's one of the drugs that is currently under trial and data of course is being updated as and when Uh, data is becoming available from from people who are running the clinical trials what is useful and important about pretonimide that after bedecolin it comes from a class of drugs which also you have delimited now delimited itself is fraught with access issues otsuka the japanese company who has the patent and therefore control over the drug has not been very forthcoming about registering the drug in many high burden countries in india patient groups had to point out that they had the patent but they were not working the patent and had to write to the government and ask for a compulsory license which forced otsuka to register the drug in india to at least file for registration the second problem with otsuka is that it's not transparent about how it's dealing with the drug how is it going to be rolled out how what is the partnership with mylan the pricing of it it's 1700 dollars per 6 months now pretominate comes from the same class of of compounds and perhaps if the data is good enough in terms of safety and efficacy could then offer an opportunity for a companion drug to betacolin and therefore offers a opportunity for patients who have extreme drug resistance an opportunity to be uh, cured what are the processes that need to be cleared before the drug is perhaps available in this country so i think uh, uh, till now what we have is a us fda approval and the second step would be the european medicine agency registering it the third step would be the who providing guidance on it and what could be done would be for tv alliance and its partner mylan to offer all the data available to the indian regulatory authority as well so that they can take these coming months to evaluate the the safety and efficacy of the uh, drug along with the drugs that it is being part of the regimen it's part of so i think this is a process which needs to involve clinicians needs to involve experts it needs to involve um, all those people who have been trying to build Uh, a drtb treatment program in the government and they need to re- they need to come together to formulate and ensure that they are able to take forward the registration and approval of the drug in india which includes to see under what conditions will it be offered what will be the criteria whether it should just be offered as compassionate use first or should it be offered to all pre xdr and xdr patients so at this point of time the regulatory pathway is an important process in high burden countries like india and i think who will have to provide technical 
support not just in you know sort of giving guidance on how to use the drug but probably talking to the regulatory authorities so that there can be a dialogue about how and this drug should be introduced in tb programs we will all have to wait and see what who says about predominant so we can't jump the gun on on the issue of uh, regulatory approval without having who providing some guidance on the use of predominant in pre xdr xdr regimens there are challenges about the rollout of bedaquiline and dilaminate many patients have complained that it's hard to access these new tb drugs what does it mean for petrominate if it's ever rolled out in this country one of the good steps that happened in india was that um, the the regulatory authority along with the tb program did not allow the drug to go into the private sector they basically did a phased manner of scaling up petrocolin and now they started on telminate however for the patients who went urgent treatment and not just in cities like in mumbai or delhi but in the remotest parts of the country in the northeast in bihar many other places of course there is this uh, you know frustration that you know we are not able to access the drug as well we be people based in delhi or bombay and now this is the current second phase of scale up that happening for particular telemedicine where other states are being included so yes the the roll out of bedaquiline and delimenade in india was in a phased manner uh, there were challenges about setting up pharmacovigilance there were challenges about you know uh, just providing one new drug example for bedaquiline to pre xdr and xdr patients you might need uh, another companion drug which is where pretominate plays a role so of course you know uh, the cdsco and rntc will one once again have to reconvene the work on new tb drugs and look at pretominate and see what's available on the on the table in terms of the data so they can evaluate it for use in the tb program i've heard that clinicians are reluctant to use new tb drugs i think uh, one of the challenges that you you highlighted very correctly that in a public health programs um clinicians are not uh, trained or equipped to deal with newer medicines because we don't have very evolved pharmacovigilance programs and pharmacovigilance programs have to be specially you know set up for drugs like bedaquiline and delaminate i think this is one of the things that you know works both ways it it is it is something that is pushing the tb program towards having better pharmacovigilance at the same time you can't have these new drugs without pharmacovigilance and i think the the benefit of having a pharmacovigilance program for bedaquiline and delaminate will be felt because these these programs are now you know already there in the tb program so who was very clear that if you want to use bedaquiline uh, and subsequently delaminate you must have a pharmacovigilance uh, aspect of it so i think um in that sense there's there's a better uh, adaptability of the tb programs to to you know monitor new drugs however the the resistance of clinicians to using new antiretroviral we've seen this in the case of antiretrovirals we've seen the situation where you where people living with hiv were demanding that you please remove stavudine we refuse to take stavudine when we have a far better drug in tenofovir 
people uh, were facing disabilities with STEMD. And the HIV program was taking a very long time. The drug had been registered. It was, you know, widely available in developed countries. But the HIV program was being extremely slow in uh, responding to the needs of patients. And I think this is this is something that a dialogue with with the TB community, particularly those who have survived TB and those who are affected by DRTB. Uh, really needs to happen because these are decisions that ultimately need to be made by families and patients and clinicians. And in that sense, I think equipping clinicians um, to to deal with such situations where they are able to do compassionate use and they are ethically able to utilize these drugs uh, for the patients who are dying, who are the threat of losing their lives, is very important. Interestingly, this happens all the time in oncology and cancer. So if you look at uh, um, uh, cancer drugs, even in maternal, um, cancer physicians have been using uh, uh, treatments which are still unregistered in India uh, for some of the patients who can afford it, who have been able to import the drug from, from developed countries. And therefore, they understand that system far better than clinicians in the public system who are confronted with dying patients, but then don't have a system where they can do compassionate use. And I think this is one of the glaring gaps in India's public health programs. And it's not to do just with uh, uh, DRTB. Tomorrow, when India is going to be treating cancer, they will have to look at areas where there are big gaps, such as compassionate use. There are also criticisms that data for all the phases of trials for these new drugs is not available. So, um, I think, uh, you know, there were two times uh, or, or I would say three times this situation has occurred. One was with HIV and AIDS when people were dying of AIDS. And of course, you know, the US FDA had to take the decision about registering a few antiretrovirals. And there was this debate about you know, do you wait for everything to, you know, happen, the, you know, every local clinical trial and, you know, a phase three trial and so on. And that's when people living with HIV AIDS started to interface with regulatory authorities like USFDA. And that was a public health emergency. And certain decisions were made. We didn't have the perfect antiretrovirals. You also had a, a, a human rights issue where people were dying of AIDS and they were dying very painful deaths. And a decision had to be made about at least providing the first generation of antiretrovirals. For example, we didn't have the safest or the, uh, um, the best drugs at that time. For example, if you look at Stavudine today, which was widely used in, in all HIV programs and they first started to treat HIV and AIDS. Uh, Stavudine causes uh, neuropathy and other side effects. Some people um, have, have reported extreme side effects from, uh, from Stavudine. But in the first generation, that was what was available. And decisions had to be made by regulatory authorities and decisions had to be made by HIV AIDS program. Whether we would wait for the perfect drugs with a perfect set of data or we would start a program to try and treat people living with HIV AIDS, with stavudine, lamivudine, and never pain. Today, if you asked a clinician to use stavudine, 
they would consider it unethical because they're far safer drugs like tenofovir or you know uh, you have uh, other drugs that are equally uh, safe um similarly if you look at the situation with hepatitis c people were being treated with pegylated interferon with extreme uh, um side effects pegylated interferon was something that caused people mental health issues um caused neuropathy nausea flu like symptoms uh, and extreme uh, uh, side effects which uh, uh, for the 24 to 48 weeks that they had to use for hep c and the cure rates were below 50% again so when suppose dubir the first oral uh, anti direct acting antiviral came from the us fda uh, the groups who were most impacted by hepatitis c started to push the regulatory authorities to start considering the registration of sofosbuvir now the indian fda wanted to wait and do a local clinical trial for sofosbuvir and rightly so in some cases you would want to do those trials however those trials should be done and of course you should collect all the safety data that would that is required but for the patients who were dying of hep c who were cirrhotic and didn't have time to wait that was the question that the regulatory authorities had to then determine would we register the drug and ask them to do uh, phase 4 trials post marketing trials and we would look at safety data from other jurisdictions we would look at phase 3 data from other jurisdictions and these are the life and death decisions that sometimes regulatory authorities need to make and twice before we've seen the situation and when it comes to drug resistant tuberculosis um where not only the person is at threat of losing their life and quite rapidly so you also have a situation where where you know that this resistant form of tuberculosis uh you know will infect my family i have drtb and if i had drtb i can actually it can affect the whole family so therefore you know these decisions by regulatory authorities are not so black and white and you know you don't have the luxury sometimes you have to make these decisions based on the current public health context based on what uh, patients need at that particular point of time which is also goes to say that uh, i think we are increasingly being confronted by such situations in the regulatory authorities in developing countries and a more evolved policy on the same should be developed so the ethical standpoint changes right as per circumstances so today for hepatitis c if you have another direct acting anti you know antiviral and you were to say this that uh, you know please register drug on the basis of phase 2b you would refuse you know you have options you have options which are safe you know they work they have high cure rates in the 90s so you would not register a drug based on phase 2b data uh you would not have to do compassionate use because you know you had these drugs that you could utilize so if you look at it every situation is different if you look at hiv today we are not being confronted with those situations where you have to make those decisions now if you look at taf you know uh, uh another improved form of tenofovir uh data for pregnancy data in um uh, co-infection with tb was waited in my opinion you could wait 
to register tax in countries like India. You don't have to hurry and register it. You could, over and above phase three, you could even ask for data on pregnancy. And you could say, why don't you provide us with data for patients who are co-infected? Because you have the luxury, you have a whole range of antiretrovirals, which the HIV program is already utilizing. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just contrast that with drug-resistant tuberculosis, if you contrast it with a situation where, you know, many people talk about the injectables, which, you know, of course, take people's, affect people's hearing. But there's, there's the drug cyclosine, which, you know, because of which people develop very severe mental health issues, psychosis. Um, you know, we don't have that luxury. So therefore, I think the situation is that the regulatory authority, when it comes to extreme drug resistance, will have to contemplate looking at the registration of predominate. And of course, it's not an easy decision to make. Uh, if today um, India had scaled up Delimit and it wasn't seventeen hundred dollars, and uh, you know WHO gave better guidance on the use of the combination of Bedaquil and Delimit, the situation would be slightly different. But because uh, the WHO hasn't given clear-cut guidance on the use of Bedaquil with Delimit. And the situation for pre-XDR and XDR patients is that they don't need just one new drug. They need at least a couple. They, we don't only need to replace um, injectables. We need to replace other classes of medicines which are very toxic. In that situation, I think predominant plays a role. There's also fear that if new drugs are used too much, there will be drug resistance in the community. Because I think, and some of these apprehensions were quite correct in their own way. There were clinicians were being asked to use a drug which had just crossed phase 2B, which normally doesn't happen in a public health program. And I think there was this feeling in the, in a, and it comes in the area of newer antibiotics also. We must protect the drug, you know. And we saw this in the case of uh, HIV. When, you know, um, there was this very famous, uh, infamous uh, comment made by someone in the U.S. Senate that, you know, we should preserve the antiretrovirals because, you know, Africans don't know how to see the time and they will misuse these antiretrovirals and burn the drugs. And then these drugs will not work for people with HIV. This is something that I feel is very reflective of what is happening with with TB clinicians. They've heard that this drug is to be preserved, to be, you know, saved, to be used very carefully. And that is turning into a very protectionist viewpoint that, you know, we'll decide who gets it and who doesn't get it. And, and I think this is a problem in the, in, in, in sort of, um, the way Bedakulin was approached. It was not approached based on who's eligible according to criteria. Who has fluoroquinolone resistance? Who can't tolerate the injectables? Can we offer them this as an option? And that doesn't matter whether you are in Patna or whether you are rich or poor or you're middle class. That, that should have been the criteria, you know. Instead, it became about protecting the drug and then, you know, the individual discretion coming in where the clinician then thinks that maybe this person is not fit to receive the drug. Uh, and, and decides that maybe, you know, uh, the patient can wait and go on to standard, uh, the, you know, the DR regimen, which most often patients are real heroes if they survive it, you know, majority of them, particularly with XDR, just don't survive it, you know. 
So I think we've seen this with antiretrovirals and we've seen this as a very clear comment made about developing countries and the inability to use newer drugs. In the case of HIV, it was a very open comment which was said that, you know, Africans don't know how to see the time and therefore they will not take the drugs on time and therefore they will create resistance and they will burn these drugs for everybody. We've seen those comments in in in, in antibiotics and TB particularly now. What bothers me is that the TB patients I met who were given bedaculin were told that the drug is expensive and they cannot be careless with it. The patients felt that it was a privilege to have these drugs. So ironically, uh, these drugs are quite cheap to produce and if India so choose to, uh, India could have its own TB manufacturers produce the drugs at a fraction of the cost that Otsuka charges for Delaminid and uh, Johnson & Johnson charges for Bedaculin. So if the issue is cost and price, then I think India needs to look at alternative production, looking at, you know, whether licenses are granted to TB manufacturers who can apply for WHO pre-qualification and supply the TB program at a very, very uh, affordable cost. And that will benefit not just India. The volumes, India will benefit two ways. The volumes can be clubbed. You know, South Africa is scaling up and of course India is scaling up, but others are scaling up too. And then you could potentially benefit from a larger, you know, scale up and then from using your technical capacity as a generic producer to produce these drugs. The new drugs are not available in the private sector. While it helps monitor the use of the drug, it's also hard for patients to access it. You could ensure that these drugs are only supplied to TB programs as Brazil has done. Brazil has ensured that TB drugs actually are supplied to the TB programs, uh, to the TB program and are not used uh, in the private sector for other indications or misused without proper diagnosis. Mm. So I think this is, this is historic that, you know, uh, the drug is not going into the private sector. The drug is being utilized and provided by the TB program. Um, this is something we've seen in HIV. Majority of treatment resides with public health programs. This has benefited HIV. This can benefit TB, DRTB. And the concern that, you know, right now they don't have the capacity to monitor everybody in the private sector and how they use the drug. And therefore, um, private, private users who want to use these new drugs will then have to also, uh, you know, partner with the government is, is a very logical public health step. You can listen to this podcast on any of the podcast app of your choice like Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, CastBox. You can also listen to this episode on our website, sunoindia.in. Suno India has a varied collection of podcasts on different topics ranging from climate change to current affairs to rare diseases. Do check out our website for more information.